0: Last week, I talked last week a little bit about some ministry spotlights that we're going to start. And so Ashley's going to talk to us a little bit about human trafficking in Des Moines uh, this week. And pay attention because this is one of those things that when she first told me what she's about to tell you, I was shocked. You think this cannot possibly happen in uh, a nice city like Des Moines. But just pay attention to this and see if it sparks an interest in you to get involved in some way. So uh, without further ado, give a hand for Ashley. She's going to talk to you about uh, human trafficking. So go ahead and clap for her. Make her feel comfortable up front.
1: Thanks. So the first time, I'll show you, I, when I heard about human trafficking, for the first time, I may or may not have been eavesdropping on campus. I was walking to the library, and there was two gentlemen in front of me, and they were just talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. And I was thinking, there's no way that there is slavery right now. I thought, okay, Emancipation Proclamation got rid of slavery that doesn't exist. I'm thinking this is like a government like weird thing going on underground. I didn't know what to think. So I went to the library, went and looked up human trafficking, modern-day slavery, and it just was like 32 million people enslaved in your backyard, blah, blah, blah. And I just sat there at the library and I just cried. And I, from that moment on, I was like, okay, Lord, If you're going to break my heart, you're going to have to give me something to do about it. Um, So that's one of the reasons why I want to come here and talk to you about just something that I know just, it just grieves my heart and it grieves the heart of the Lord. um, That his children are being bought and sold um, all around the United States and the world. So um, some misconceptions. At the top, I just have quotes from like people that have like stories that I know and i have pulled out quotes from it just so you can kind of see the reality of what human trafficking really is. It's not something that you feel good talking about because um, you kind of have to get down and dirty into things that, um, that Satan likes to keep hidden, but we want to bring it to the light. Um, so some misconceptions is, like I said, slavery was abolished with Lincoln. Um, when you hear about prostitutes or club workers, they're, they're wanting to do it. It's a voluntary thing all of the time. Um, and the big one that I find most often when I t- go talk to groups of people is it doesn't happen in the United States. It's a third world country problem. Um, but it's, that's definitely not the case. Um, you can go to the next one. So slavery now. Um, just some, I'll give you some statistics and then I'll kind of tell you what you can do about it. So slavery right now in the United States and in the world is more prevalent than any time in history. So over all of the time slavery was legal, it's almost twice as prevalent as it was then. Um, And then over the course of a year, it brings in $91.2 billion in revenue. And it's becoming the highest, um, it's the second highest to drug trafficking right now because drug trafficking is so common. But human trafficking is on the rise because you can... When you sell drugs, you can only sell them once. So if I have meth, I can only sell it to somebody once. But when you have a girl, you can sell her over and over and over and over and over. And And so a lot of traffickers are moving from selling drugs and weapons, which you can only sell once, to trafficking girls because it can have such a higher revenue for the trafficker, which is sick, but it's just how it is. So in the world, worldwide, there are 27 million slaves. And this is an estimate the estimate is 27 to 32 million slaves. But the, how they get that number is based on traffickers they've trafficked and girls they've rescued. So since trafficking is such an underground um, thing, it's, that's really a tip of the iceberg number. So when you look at, like, nonprofit organizations that try to guess what the real number is, it's probably more around 60. Um, but 27 to 32 is the actual number that they have for statistic Um, one percent of all victims are rescued as of now, which is, it breaks my heart. If you can only rescue one percent of something, that's very, very, very little, Um, because a lot of people don't know that it even exists. I didn't have any idea, like Nick was like, I had no idea this was even real. Um, So I think bringing this to light is something that can really help with bringing that number up. Um, So this is, you can't really see it, I'm kind of sad, but it's okay. So there's 800 women on this screen, if you include the legs there and the legs up there. I couldn't get them all on, sorry. Um, But for every 800 people trafficked, there's only one conviction. And that's conviction for trafficker or person that's using the product. So they're called Johns. So for every 800 girls bought and sold in and out of the United States, there's only one person convicted for it, which is crazy. Because if you think about... Like my, like Valley High School graduated with a little bit less than 800 people. So if all of those people were trafficked, all of Valley High School was trafficked, only one person would be convicted for that. Which is, a, it, like it's crazy to wrap your mind around. So in the United States, so this is where people are like, this doesn't happen here. Um, it's the fastest growing crime in the world and especially in the United States. So there's 1.2 million children bought and sold in the US every year. So every 30 seconds, a child is bought and sold in and out of the United States. So I've been talking for five minutes. So there's been 10 girls or boys bought and sold in and out of the United States since I've been standing here talking to you. Which is kind of like a, it's a sobering fact that I go through my day every day, living my life very comfortably. And to know that every day there are people being having their freedom taken away from them and being forced to do things that they don't want to do. Um, so in the United States, there's 100,000 to 300,000 slaves, which is, again, top of the iceberg. The number's probably actually around 500,000 in the United States. Um, and you wonder why you don't see it um, broadcasted. It's because it's so underground that people are going to hotels. People are going to, it could be at your neighbor's in your neighbor's basement. You could have a maid slave, is what they're called. They're you know, girls or boys that have to work for a family, and they don't get paid, they don't get anything, um, that kind of traditional type of slavery. Um, and I, the reason this is growing so much is you can make almost over $200,000 per year off of one girl, because you can sell them so many times, like I was saying. So those are just kind of some statistics about what trafficking is, um, <clears throat> so it's it's a bigger problem than I think anybody is comfortable addressing. Um, it's one of those things that you just kind of want to be like, okay, um, that's it's not me, so like I don't really have to worry about it too much. Like if it was, if it was my sister, maybe I would worry about it, or you know if it was my my friend, or if someone from our church was trafficked, maybe we would start doing something about it. But <clears throat> I just there was a woman one time that said, literally it could be your sister, like, it could be your best friend who's trafficked, and I have talked to a girl from Boone who was trafficked, and she was like, you would never think in Boone, Iowa, that there would be somebody who traffics girls and then sells them all over the United States in and out, Um, and a lot of times you think, okay, they're kidnapped or they just run away, so they're, it's really, you know, what are we going to do about that, but it's also they're lured for jobs. Like, we're going to give you a really great job. You know, we'll come this way. And they're, they're very professional. So it takes a big group of people to stop such a heinous crime. Um, so I have some nonprofit organizations up here and some things that you can do. I think once, once people hear about human trafficking, and I know for me, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's 32 million slaves. I'm just a... Person in Iowa. I don't know what I'm gonna do, and so, so you don't feel that way. There's a, there's three things that I have for this church that I think um, would make a huge impact. One is locally in Iowa. We talked with Nick and I, and Mike met with the FBI about what we could do in Iowa to make a difference. So in Iowa, there's been 68 convictions in the last four months, which is crazy because you wouldn't think Iowa, nothing happens here. We're a nice Midwest town, but it does. So that's awesome. But when they rescue these girls, they have to clothe them and feed them and keep them and house them. So something that you can do is you can bring, we'll have a basket or a bucket or a box outside um, and a table that you can bring in, sweatshirts, sweatpants, T-shirts, shorts, um, things like toothpaste, toothbrushes, shampoo. What are those things called? Like toiletries. You could bring in toiletries, so anything like that—I mean, like lightly used or new um, things—like that would be awesome to make a practical difference in Iowa right now, because they they have these girls that they have to house and they don't have the resources to do it. Um, so that's something that you can do. You could bring that next week, and the week after, we'll have stuff out there. Another thing, so help donate items in Iowa. Another thing is I do Saxom parties. Saxom is a nonprofit organization that means it's in Cambodia and Saxon means to restore dignity. That's what it means in in Khmer. So they rescue girls, teach them how to sew, teach them how to be business owners. They make all the products handmade, come back here, we sell them, and 100% goes back to Cambodia. So that is an awesome practical way to get your friends together, mostly women. Sorry, guys. But women, you can have a Saxon party at your house. I'll just come give like Five, ten minute talk about what human trafficking is and what the purses are going to. And they have scarves, like this scarf is the saxom. And they have shirts and purses and all kinds of stuff. So that, or you can go to She's Worth It. It's a campaign that's going on. It ends at the end of this month. So if you want more information about She's Worth It, it's awesome. It's all these nonprofit organizations coming together to make one big bam difference. Um, so we have a bunch of different organizations that you can feed into through She's Worth It. And the idea, obviously, is she's worth $10. She's worth $15 to rescue a girl. Because the average price of a slave is $90. So if you feel like this is pulling at you, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you about it. Obviously, this is... Can you go to the next slide? You guys can read these. But um, obviously, it's something that grieves the heart of the Lord. And um, in James, it says, you know, look after orphans and widows in their distress. And this is... This is our modern day orphans and widows. And I just think that, yeah, if it grieves the heart of the Lord, it should grieve the heart of the church. And I know that it will affect you guys. So if you want, talk to me after. And, oh, 10 minutes and 4 seconds, sorry.
0: Raise your hand if a lot of that was new to you. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? It, when I first heard that, it scared me a little bit for my own kids. But it's awesome to serve a God that we, don't, we just we can let go of that fear and, uh, and talk about being a light and shining a light into a dark place um, so really if you if that tugged at your heart talk to Ashley Moore we're going to be sending out an email with, with all of that um, and more and have a box next week you can just bring stuff I know that like we just moved and I just got rid of a, a lot of clothes I should have kept them um, and so as we do that we can, we can uh, be a light in the darkness so we're gonna just take a moment now and sing a couple more songs. The offering's gonna come around, and let's just take this time to to really prepare our hearts to hear uh, from God through Alan And um, and we'll do that. God, thank you for uh, thank you for this place that we can worship you. I thank you for Des Moines. Um, I thank you that we get to see you work in extraordinary and miraculous ways beyond what we can imagine. Um, just pray for uh, the U.S. Pray for. Um, the city of Des Moines, as far as human trafficking goes. And God, I pray that we would um, begin to see miracles um, as, as we get involved in this around Des Moines and in, in girls being rescued out of slavery. God, we just pray that you would show us, rock our worlds in that way. As we give back to you, God, now, I pray that you would just find us with joyful hearts and cheer- cheerful hearts giving to you out of the abundance that you've given to us, God. May we just rest in your presence and glorify you. Um, we love you in Jesus' name.
2: Oh, Good morning. Um, today is Palm Sunday, even though it feels like Christmas outside. As we were driving here today, my girls were both saying, Dad, it looks like it's Christmas out. I said, yeah, no. Today is Palm Sunday, and next week is Easter, so pray for good weather um, for the Easter egg hunt on Saturday. I know it's snow or no snow, there will be eggs there. I guess they'll be a little easier to find if there's white covering the ground. Uh, before I start, I, I do, do just want to draw our attention to a couple uh, things for prayer. Um, our hearts are heavy for the Klein family and the Gillette family. Um, uh, Mabel uh, passed away, as, as you guys know, earlier this week, and um, the funeral was yesterday. And so we want to lift up Paul and Mary and Mark and Jess Lynn and Sarah and Lois, and um, we want to pray for them, and, and another thing that we want to be in prayer about is, uh, um, I, Ashley didn't mention, but her husband Nate is, let's see, is it the Dominican Republic, Republic? Um, did he? when did he leave? Thursday? Friday, morning. Friday morning, and he is going to be there um, just sharing the gospel, um, being a witness for Jesus, and so we want to lift up him, pray for his safety, pray that the Holy Spirit would really give him uh, boldness, and. And then a final request, uh, on a personal note, uh, sometimes you, you have nights as a parent that uh, you know are, are going to be remembered for the wrong reasons, and uh, last night was one of those at our house. Uh, my daughter Aubrey was sick throughout the night, and um, so this morning, Lauren called you know, the, the nurse, and she said, you know, I think you should bring her to the emergency room. So, so that's where my wife Lauren is right now. So... If my thoughts seem a little scattered this morning, uh, just bear with me, and, and uh, we're excited to look at God's Word, and so let's, uh, let's just uh, go to God in prayer one more time. God, we, uh, we're thankful that we can be here together. We're thankful for your Word. Uh, we're thankful for the privilege of being called children of God. Uh, we do want to pray for the Klein family, the Gillette family, who are... We're really grieving a loss right now of a, of a woman who, who lived a faithful life. A woman who has left a legacy of, of the gospel in, in Ireland and in Africa and in the United States. And uh, someone really who, who lived uh, for your glory and your purposes, Lord. And we're thankful for that example. Uh, we pray for Nate. Uh, give him boldness as he speaks the gospel as he tries to, to lead people to Christ, people who do, who do not know him. Uh, and Lord, I pray for my daughter Aubrey that, that uh, everything would go well this morning at the emergency room and um, uh, that she would be able to be hydrated and, and uh, be uh, feeling well again. So we commit our time to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the book of John. Uh, and we just started this, this series two weeks ago. And um, the big theme, the big idea that we want to remember as we go through the book of John is from this verse in John chapter 20. Uh, And it says, These are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10 he said the the thief comes to, to steal and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance and how thankful we are that Jesus came to bring us life and we're not just talking about eternal life that starts after this life is done, we're talking about present tense life right now joy peace, hope Life that starts right now—that's what we're talking about. And so, even though, um, even though the clients are grieving uh, Mabel leaving them, her her life—she has lived an abundant life that continues on, that continues on into eternity. And if you have trusted in Jesus right now, you have life. You have eternal life. It is not something that is waiting to be given to you. You have it right now. But sometimes, you know, God's word is here because sometimes we don't feel like we have a lot of life. Sometimes our faith feels like it's a little bit low. And we come back to this because these are written that you might believe. And our faith is renewed. And our life is renewed as we go back to God's word. And I pray that that would happen this morning. Well, Last week, Kyle talked about uh, this kind of poetic opening to the book of John, this prologue that that starts with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This idea that, that Jesus, this eternal Word, this source of all things, that when God created the universe, he spoke it into existence with a Word, and that Jesus is that Word. And and it uses this this. High language, this, these, um, these big concepts. It says, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was the one who the world was created through. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we come to verse 6. Verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. Now, if you're like me, that it seems kind of like a jarring thing. You're reading about the Word. You're reading about how the Word um, is, is the light shining in the darkness, how All things were created through the word. And and all of a sudden, it says, there came a man sent from God. His name was John. And then after these two verses, it goes right back in. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. If you're like me, you say, why? Why does John stick these two verses? Why does he break his thought up like this? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the word. He's talking about creation and eternity. And he says, There came a man sent from God. Uh, We'll come back to that a little bit later, but I want you to be thinking about that. Why does John interrupt this poetic beginning to his book to say there came a man sent from God? His name was John. But we see something right away very important about John, and it's this John was a witness. Look at that. Three times in these two verses, it says he came as a witness. To bear witness. And then again, he was not the light, but he came to what? Bear witness about the light. And seven times in this first chapter, John is linked with this identity of being a witness, of bearing witness. And in fact, this, this theme of witness and of bearing witness is huge in the book of John. In fact, as you go through the book of John, I think, I think there are 47 times in the book where this idea, this theme of witness and of bearing witness is talked about. And one way to think about the book of John is, is, is that John is building this case. He wants us to believe something. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when you, when you try to set forth a case, what do you do? You bring out the witnesses. In a courtroom, And someone is arguing a case, what do they do? They call out the witnesses. And so that's something to pay attention to. As you go through the book of John, watch as John calls out these witnesses. The witness of the John, the Baptist. The witness of God the Father. The witness of the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Scriptures. The witness of the disciples. The witness of Jesus' miracles. As you go through the book of John, over and over, you see, John is bringing forth witnesses to prove to convince that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I want us to think about this idea of witness. And and as we look at John, to think uh, and kind of meditate on what does it mean to be a witness? And what does it mean to witness for Jesus? And I really just want to draw our attention to three three things. Uh, But first, let let me read, starting... In verse 19. Verse 19 says, And this is the testimony. That's also that same word. This is the witness. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, the most important thing about a witness and the biggest question to answer is, are they credible? Now, if you can think back to the O.J. Simpson trial, a lot of the, the trial hinged on this issue of credibility. And one of the detectives for the Los Angeles Police Department, his name was Mark Furman, who had found a lot of this evidence and was a key witness. Well, it came to light that he had said, uh, that he had made um, racial remarks and that he had, had said things to people, um, that he had said racial things to people and, and that that was a part of his makeup and part of his character. And in fact, he denied it, but they had four people come forward to say, no, I heard him say this. I heard him say that. I heard him say this. And so his entire witness, his entire message was discredited because of his character. And so as you look at, the, at this, at John, and, and uh, he's called John the Baptist generally, but I would think of him today as John the witness. And you know, the key question is, is, he, is his witness credible? Does he have credibility? And, and they ask him this question. And, and, and so I, I want you to kind of get a sense of this scene. There's this, this man that has been living in the desert and kind of arrives on the scene out of nowhere, starts preaching, calling people, saying, repent, prepare the way. Someone greater than me is coming after me. And people started listening to him People started responding to him. People started coming out to him. And he was baptizing people in the river. And this was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. This, he didn't go into the middle of Jerusalem with his message. He was out in the desert. And he was preaching and people were coming to him. And the religious leaders, the, the priests and the Levites, you know, well, they're, they're kind of sitting there in Jerusalem saying, what's going on? All these people are going out and this guy is gaining influence. Gaining followers. We need to go find out, what is his message? Who is this guy? So they go, ask, they go and they ask him this question, and they say, who are you? And first they say, who are you? And he confessed, and he said, I am not the Christ. They wondered, could this guy be the Messiah who was supposed to come? And John says, no. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said, who are you? We need to give an answer. What do you say about yourself? So saying, John, tell us why we should listen to you. Why do you have credibility? Now, before I read what John did say, I want us to think for a second about what he could have said. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. If you're not familiar, we're not going to dive into the whole story of, of John's birth, but you guys are familiar with it. His father was a priest. And his father and mother were very old. They had no children. They didn't think they would ever have children. An angel came and appeared to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a son. And this is what the angel said. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. Now I don't know about you guys, but when we celebrate birthdays at our house, uh, we just celebrated a birthday a couple weeks ago for, for Nora, she's seven now, it's hard to believe. But we talk about what happened when our children were born. We say, man, I remember the day that you were born, we went to the, we went to the, the doctor and they said, yeah, it's, it's going to be now, and, and we went home and we had spaghetti, I still remember we had spaghetti, I don't know why. <laughs> We went to the hospital, I, I can remember vividly, we watched you know, an episode of Seinfeld, we were just killing time, we were... And, and uh, you, you remember these random things, but, you, but think about it, you remember everything about when your kids were born, and you make sure, as they grow up, you tell them that story over and over again. Now think about John growing up. How many times do you think he heard this story? Man, I remember it, the angel came, and he said, you're going to have this son, And he's going to turn the people back to God. And and think about what the angel says. The angel says, he will be great before the Lord. And I'm sure they told John this over and over again. John, you, God is going to use you to do something amazing. You are going to be great before the Lord. And John, the angel said that you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And John, you will turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord. And John, the angel said that you are going to go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. See, there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy at the end of Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet before the New Testament was written. And he said, The the day is, is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant evildoers will stumble. And in verse 5, Malachi 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, didn't he just say, No, I'm not Elijah. Well, the priests and the Levites were asking if he was literally Elijah. They interpreted this prophecy to be that that, that the literal Elijah, that John might be the literal Elijah. And, and some say that there still may be a fulfillment of this prophecy in the future. But when you look at, at, the, at uh, Luke 1, the angel specifically says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he quotes from Malachi 4, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Well, think of all the things John could have said. He could have said, my father was a priest. An angel prophesied I was born in a miraculous way. I was, it was promised that I would turn the children back to their fathers. And, and no, I'm not the literal Elijah, but the angel said I would prophesy in the, in the power and in the spirit of Elijah. And he could have said all these things. He could have corrected their misconceptions. But what does he say? He turns back to another prophecy also another prophecy about him but one that's a, a little less um, a little less grand in John, back in John 1 verse 23 he said I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said I'm just a voice I'm just a voice So one thing as we think about the credibility of John that I want us not to miss is John's humility. John wasn't there to draw attention to himself. He didn't want to make a big scene about everything that God had done for him. He said, I'm just a voice. God is the important one. God is the one that's doing all this stuff. I'm just his messenger. And you know, there is something about humility that gives great credibility. When you look at, at cult leaders or false teachers, one of the marks that you, that you find in, in people is a degree of pride and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, just a, a sense of they want to be the center of attention. They want to be Known. They want people to look up to them. They want to be respected. And, and that's one of, the, one of the marks to watch out for in false, te- false teachers. Do they draw attention to themselves? John wasn't in it for himself. And that adds huge, uh, something huge to his credibility. So, you know, here's a guy out here who is deflecting attention away from himself, who is pointing to Jesus. And, you know, I want to listen to someone who has that kind of credibility. Someone who I know is not in it for themselves. And the other thing that adds to his credibility is is his lifestyle and the consistency of his living. And um, you don't have to turn, but in Luke chapter 3, as it describes a little bit more about John, listen to what it says. Um, When the crowds would come to him, his message was, his message was repent, but he also gave them some practical um, things that they could do to repent, and, and one of the things he said to them in verse Luke 3.11, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise, and tax collectors came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Now, imagine if John had been telling these people, well, if you have two, two cloaks, share with someone who doesn't have one. Can you imagine if he went home at night and had this huge closet full of clothes and this, this mansion? Um, no, John chose a very simple lifestyle He gave up things that he did not, he was not required to give up, but he did it for the purpose of this. He wanted to be a credible witness. And you cannot point to someone who is living the lifestyle that John did and say, no, he had an ulterior motive. You cannot point to him and say, no, he was in it for the money, he was in it for the prestige. John lived a lifestyle that was built on credibility. So continuing on, back to John chapter 1. So the first thing about his witness is it was credible, and it was consistent, and it was shown by his humility and his lifestyle. In John 1, 24, um, the Pharisees asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ? nor Elijah, nor the prophet. Why are you baptizing? And again, John was calling people. He was readying people. He wanted them to repent because he was preparing a way for Jesus to come. And the second thing about his his witness is it requires great courage. John did not shy away. You know, you think about when you are calling someone to repent, that's a hard thing to do. Because that means that the way that you're living is not the way God wants you to live. And you need to repent and turn back to God. And see, the Jews were content with the fact that, you know what, we're children of Abraham. And he said, no, that's not enough. You, yourself, as an individual, you need to repent and come back to God. And that takes courage. In fact, so much courage, that as you read on later in the story of John, that he told, actually, had told Herod, Herod had, had taken his his brother's um, wife for himself, and he told Herod, what you're doing is wrong. And that took some courage, and that landed John in jail. But John said, you know what, I have a message from God. I am a witness, and I'm not going to shy away from truths that are hard. And you know, today, we live, we live in a culture that says that says, I don't care what you believe as long as you keep it to yourself. I don't care what you believe as long as you don't tell me what to believe. But the gospel that we follow says, no, there is one way to God. One way, and, and we cannot escape that. And so we can, cannot shy away from speaking what is true when we have the opportunity to do that. That takes courage. The third thing about John's witness, and the most important thing, Christ. Everything was about Christ. Here's what he said in in John 1 26. John answered them I baptize with water. He said I don't want to make a big deal about what I'm doing. I just I'm baptizing with water. But among among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. The reason John came to baptize was so that Christ would be revealed. Everything about his witness, all pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ. Deflecting attention away from himself and pointing to Christ. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's revealing something about Jesus here, very important. He's saying, Here comes Jesus. Here comes this one that is greater than me because he was before me. But what does he call him? He calls him a lamb. And you know, I I don't know about you, when I think think of a lamb, I don't think of greatness. But John knew something. John knew something important about Jesus. And I don't know if this is something that Jesus had revealed to him through the Holy Spirit or something that he had come across as he read through the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. But in the book of Isaiah, here's this prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. John knew that the Messiah, this great one that was coming, this chosen one from God, was the Lamb of God. And this is the mystery that all the prophets, as they looked ahead, they couldn't quite figure it out. And John is called the greatest of the prophets, and he was the last of the, in the line of the Old Testament prophets. And I think that he was the greatest because he connected this truth about Jesus. That Jesus, that the Messiah, was also the Lamb who had died. What, what does he tell people? He says, behold the Lamb. Behold. Just, just look at Him. Look at Jesus. Now, that's pretty simple to do, isn't it? That's a simple command. John didn't, didn't rattle off ten things. He said, behold the Lamb of God. And you know, that call is for us right here today to behold the Lamb of God. To look at Jesus and say, this perfect, excellent one. This one who, who John, the greatest of the prophets, said, I'm not worthy to bend down. And loosen his sandal. And loosening sandals would would be something that maybe the very least of the least servants would do. And John said, You know what? I'm not even worthy to be in that class. I'm not even worthy to be the least of the slaves to untie the shoe of this one. That's how great Jesus is. Everything about his witness was pointing back to Jesus. Now, I, I said at the beginning, I said, I asked the question, um, why does John, in the, in the first chapter, why does he, as he's talking about Jesus and the word and the light, why does he interrupt his thought and say there was a man sent from God? Well, I, I had thought about this before, but I had always kind of struggled with it, but I heard a recent message from John Piper, and he said something I, that I think really rings true. He said that, You know, John was no dummy as he wrote this. He didn't make a mistake and get mixed up with where he was at. He put this here for a reason. And the reason is this. The reason really comes in the previous verse. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. I want you to notice something. John uses the present tense there. He says the light shines. Not the light shines. Now, John wrote this in around somewhere in the 80s or maybe close to 90 AD, some 50 or 60 years after Jesus died. He said the light shines in the darkness. Now, ask yourself this question. How does the light of Jesus shine in the darkness, present tense, keep shining in the darkness? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that the next verse he says there was a man sent from God. God uses people to shine, God uses you and me and men like John to shine his light. He is the light. You know, John, John made sure to say, I'm not the light. I'm not the light. But God uses people to take that light of Jesus and shine it into this dark world. And you see that explicitly if you look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5, here's, here's uh, Jesus talking more about this idea of witness. But he says in, in John five thirty three, he says, you sent to John, and he's talking about this earlier situation. He says, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. And listen to what he says about John. He said, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John was a burning and shining lamp. And man, what a privilege it is to think that the light that shines in the darkness, God wants to use people, ordinary, regular people, to, to, be, to shine that light in the dark. The biggest, thing that, the biggest way that God shines that light in the darkness is through people like us. So the question I want to leave you with this morning and the thing to think about is what kind of witness am I? Does my lifestyle lend credibility to the message of the gospel? Am I humble? Do, do my coworkers or my neighbors, if I asked them, if, if they were describing me to someone else behind my back, what would they say about me? Would they say, ah, that guy's a real jerk? Or would they say, you know, he's a humble person. And he's, he lives a lifestyle that's consistent with what he believes. And you know, he speaks the truth. I may not always agree with it, but he speaks the truth. What kind of a witness are we? You know, and we can overcomplicate this. We can, we can come up with excuses, but it's, it's a simple thing. We point people to Jesus. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we say, you know what? There was... The Word. And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And this man, Jesus, was the Lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. And so we're here. We're here to remember that. Uh, And and as we do that, we're going to take communion. We're going to take this bread and this cup. And as you do, let's be just thankful. Thankful for the message of hope that we have in the gospel for the testimony of a man named John. And may we pray that God would use us to be a witness, to be a light here in Johnston and in our community to reach the world for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the book of John, that these things were written, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing, we may have life in his name. Father if there's some here who have not put their trust in Jesus who have yet to behold him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world who have not repented of their sin as John called us to do who have not trusted in the righteousness of Jesus the one who took all of our sin on him and who put all of his righteousness on us if we trust in him. May we remember you this morning. May we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.